0: please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this book. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our minds this morning to see marvelous things about your gospel. I pray also that you'd help me preach. And for each one of us, Lord, give us a holy dissatisfaction with worldly things that we might come with spiritual hunger. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. one of the parts of our liturgy is called the comfortable words. After the absolution, we confess, confess our sins. We're reminded of God's forgiveness. And then it says the comfortable words. And one of them is that if anyone is weary or heavy laden, it says, Jesus, come to me and I will give you rest. And I'm asking the question of how does someone come to Jesus? What does that mean? Like if, if I am weary and heavy laden and I am wanting his rest, what do I actually do? And it has to do with change. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on which way you receive change, um, some of us are dead set against changing. I saw a bumper sticker in the last election cycle that I had to chuckle at just on the car, and it said, I'll keep my money, guns, and freedom, and you can keep the change. You know, I chuckled because of the play on words, but that was a person who is dead set against changing anything. I don't wanna change. I wanna stay exactly how we are, don't bring your, your any kind of um, revisions. I wonder if that describes you spiritually as well. Or if you come thinking, I am kind of burdened and heavy laden. I do need some rest. I'm not satisfied with things in life. What must I do? Well, this morning, my big idea, the concept, I think, from the text is this. The good news changes lives. And there's that word change. What does it change? Well, First of all, we have to change allegiances. We have to let go of one kingdom and come into a different one. There's a a change on our part. And then we also have to submit ourselves to the changing work of God who changes our hearts. Every so often I read this little booklet um, called My Heart, Christ's Home. It's I have it here. It's like a track. You could you can literally read this before you're finished eating your breakfast. And uh, Robert Munger wrote this, I think, in the 1950s. Uh, he was a professor at Fuller Seminary. And he uses the heart, or he uses a home, the idea of a home with different rooms as a metaphor for the heart. And he invites Jesus into his heart as a new Christian. And then he realizes he's a terrible host because he won't let him into certain rooms. He doesn't meet them in the morning when, he, when they've agreed to meet. He doesn't feed them good food. And I wanna just read you about the dining room because it's about change and he says this from the study we went into the dining room the room of appetites and desires now this was a large room a most important place to me i spent a lot of time and hard work trying to satisfy all my wants i told jesus this is a favorite room i'm sure you'll be pleased with what i serve here and then he seated himself at the table and inquired what's on the menu for dinner tonight well i said my favorite dishes money academic degrees and stocks, with newspaper articles of fame and fortune as the side dishes. Those were the things I liked, thoroughly secular fare. There was nothing so very bad in any of them, but it was not really the kind of food that would feed the soul and satisfy the true spiritual hunger. When the plates were placed before my new friend, he said nothing. However, I observed that he did not eat, and I asked, somewhat disturbed, Lord, don't you like this food? What's the trouble? And he answered, I have food to eat you know not of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. He looked at me again and said, If you want food that really satisfies you, do the will of your heavenly Father. Put his pleasure before your own. Stop striving for your own desires, your own ambitions, your own satisfactions. Seek to please him. That food will really satisfy you. Try a bit of it. It's an interesting little booklet. You can buy it on Amazon for $2.99, or you can just Google it, and you can get a PDF of it. It's four pages. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty helpful because it, it, it asks the question, what am I trying to feed my hunger, my spiritual hunger? Am I eating spiritual junk food, or am I coming to the Lord who said that he's the bread of life and will satisfy? That's about change. And our sermon series for Epiphany is about partaking of the promise. In fact, the text that I used for that, that phrase comes from Ephesians um, chapter 3, verse 6. And Paul says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel. We're partakers of the promise through the gospel, but what is the gospel? You know, that's actually a somewhat difficult question to answer. What is the gospel? Well, um, we, we have a new, Luke read from a new gospel book I got. It has the four gospels in it. We're in the gospel of Mark. It's his telling of the gospel. Mark starts out chapter one, his, chapter one, verse one says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in our text today that Luke read for us, it says that Jesus, once he heard that John was in prison, he went into Galilee and began to proclaim the gospel saying, comma, and one would think, okay, right there. Whatever he says next should be the gospel. And that's what I want to look at today. By the way, gospel literally means good news. So the change I'm I'm setting us up to consider is actually good for us. It's not bad news. It's not change your life by getting rid of things that satisfy and are good for you and take on things that are just hard and not satisfying. It is actually good news. The gospel means good news. And Jesus went into Galilee and began to proclaim the gospel of God saying, and I'm going to give you four words. And these four words are words you should probably return to often. In fact, if you want to write on the back of your bulletin, you can say, the gospel changes things, and then you can write four words. And Jesus, when he proclaimed the gospel, he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So time, kingdom, repent and believe. Those four words are essential to what the gospel message is and by the way in mark's gospel he uses the word gospel seven times so you can start to look at how these words have an effect on people and how jesus brings the gospel and not just talks about it so um, first word is the time in greek there are two words for time chronos and kairos chronos is where we get chronological time tick tock tick tock what time is it, you might say? And someone would say, it is 9 a.m. We're talking chronological time. Kairos is time as well, but it's more like an event. Did you have a good time at the party? That's not chronological time, that's speaking of the event. In fact, the ministry that goes into the prisons and brings the good news to the prisoners is called Kairos. People that are in prison are doing, as we say, hard time. They have a lot of time chronological time. Those days drag, I imagine. And Kairos brings the gospel into the prisons and tries to create the event of Jesus breaking into their lives. And all of a sudden, what was boring, slow, chronological time becomes an an event in the kingdom of the heavens. Kairos, an event. It's a different kind of time. And Jesus is saying, the time is fulfilled. The Kairos time is fulfilled, not just chronological. I mean, there is chronology in that John was put in prison, and after that, Jesus started to preach. There is some chronological cues that now it's time for this, but when Jesus says the time is fulfilled, he's speaking of a much weightier thing. He's speaking of God entering into our chronological time in a special event in a special way. It is, the time is fulfilled. Jesus is the fulfillment of all sorts of things. As we preached in our last sermon series, he's the fulfillment of the images of the Messiah. He is the prophet that Moses talked about. He is the one that uh, all the patriarchs were looking forward to, the one through whom all the nations would be blessed. He's the one that Isaiah talks about in the servant songs, the suffering servant of Isaiah. It's him. He has broken into history. He's the majestic son of man, from the prophet Daniel, the one who's given authority to rule the king of all kings. He has come. The time is fulfilled. All those things came to a point in Jesus and it happened right there. Something special was going on in time. Not only that, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And when we're talking about kingdom here, we are not talking about realm, geographic realm. We are talking about reign, dominion, Ruling authority. There are lots of kingdoms in this world. You could think of the Kingdom of Great Britain or something. It's a geographical territory. Of course, God is the ruler of the universe, but in our situation here on earth, there has, a a usurper has come in. God put Adam and Eve in charge of some things, and Satan went in and tempted them and usurped authority, and he's called the prince of this world. And my friend Alan calls it a thiefdom, he's a thief. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and he's taken something that didn't belong to him, and he rules over it like a a little thief, and this is my thiefdom. That's who Satan is, the, the thief who's come to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus has said the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is now at hand, and he came on a rescue mission and broke into that situation, replanted the, the flag of heaven's kingdom and said, it's mine now, I'm taking it back. That's what was happening here. And what, what happens in this mission to reclaim the world is Mark very quickly starts to show that the kingdom of God is bigger, it's better, and it's urgent. It's urgent. 36 times he says immediately in, in this gospel. Immediately, immediately, immediately. And he fires through after this teaching showing Jesus calling people who immediately drop their nets and follow. He shows that he has authority over people's lives, and they come under that lordship. He shows him um, healing uh, a sick person, multiple. He has authority over illness to bring health where there was sickness. In fact, that was one of the fulfilling things. Isaiah talked about the day of the Lord's favor, that he would open the eyes of the blind, and he would heal the sick, and he would carry our burdens, all that stuff. This has happened He casts out demons and they submit to him because they have to. He has so much authority. He has power over the laws of nature. He says to the wind and the sea, be calm. And the guys go, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Great question. This is the one who has power and authority. And so he demonstrates the power of his kingdom and how strong his mission is. And then of course the gospel goes to the the climax of all history which is Calvary and the cross. And Jesus says, I'm gonna die for the sins of the world and on the third day I'm gonna rise. And he does exactly what he said. Not only does he have authority and power over Satan, over sickness, over people's lives, over the laws of nature, he has authority over death. The author of life died and rose on the third day and defeated death. And so we have the hope of the resurrection. We did a funeral yesterday. The message is always the same. It's the Easter message. Death no longer gets the last word the king has come. The kingdom of God is at hand, and Jesus demonstrates it by showing how powerful he is to conquer. Now, it's, um, it's helpful, though, to recognize there's a spiritual conflict, and I, I like the analogy of World War II. Between D-Day and V-Day, the war was definitely won, but there was all sorts of death and casualty that happened for a while before everyone put their guns down. I keep going back to Band of Brothers, that um, 10... Part series on World War II, the trench warfare that HBO did years ago. It's phenomenal. And I was just watching a, a series called, uh, one of the shows, the title is The Replacements. So these guys, I think they're in France somewhere fighting Bastogne or somewhere. They're, they're fighting and they're dying and it's, it's a tough fight. And the replacements are the new guys that are coming in to backfill the lines when there's an injury or a death. And um, a lot of these replacements didn't understand the the situation they were walking into. It's safe in the back lines where the Jeeps are moving around. And as you get closer and closer to where your assignment is, it gets more and more dangerous. And many of the replacements ignorantly just walk out upright and get shot, like right away. And the guys that have been alive for a year of the war are crawling on their knees, they're under trees, they're in trenches, they've figured out how to stay alive because they're aware of the real situation. I bring it up because a lot of us are in a war like those replacements and we are not paying attention to the spiritual forces. I mean, myself too. I'm recently reflecting on a conflict that that I had with somebody a while back and I keep trying to solve it at a human level. Was I wrong in how I react? Did I say the wrong thing? Did they say the wrong? And I keep realizing it was totally a spiritual thing. There was an enemy twisting words and ascribing motives and messing us up and doing damage to the church. And I, I don't know why, I just forget that we're in this war. Or maybe I, I get comfortable, we get comfortable and we think, yeah, Jesus has this, and he does, but there is still a, an enemy on the prowl. He is not fully, Jesus has not fully set things right, and so there's an attack, we're in a battle. Every inch of this world is claimed and counterclaimed by a kingdom. There is no neutral ground for us. And so when he says, this is part of the gospel, when he says the kingdom is at hand, if you join his side, you have an immediate enemy. If you don't join his side, you're on the losing team. So there is no, like, I'm gonna be a free agent for a while. The kingdom is at hand. And then the third word, repent. This is a word that is um, it's, it's misinterpreted often by Christians in particular. We, we think we know what it means, but what we really oftentimes mean is remorse for consequences. We, we do something that is contrary to God's word, we try to satisfy our own desire in some way, we do something sinful, and of course it doesn't satisfy. Much like that My Heart, Christ Home little booklet, it, I'm trying to feed myself spiritual junk food, thinking it's gonna give me the rest and the peace that only God can, and I do something, or I think something, or I say something sinful, and then it doesn't go well, and then when then I repent, but what I really do is I'm remorseful, and I say, I say, I'm sorry that worked out like that. I want to do the thing and have the result I want. Most of us treat repentance like that. Repentance literally means change of mind. Metanoia, it means the mind is changed. And it's a change of understanding. It's a disdain for the sinful desire itself. I realize I keep trying to find satisfaction in something other than God. And every time I go after it, I don't get the satisfaction I want. The change of mind is to stop finding a new way to get it. That I'm going to try it from the left side instead of the right. No, repentance is to go, that's not going to satisfy me. i got to go this way. Jesus is who I need. I've got to come to him. And i got to deal with the fact that my heart keeps wanting the wrong stuff. Read Romans 7 for Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul's own dilemma with it. He's like, with my mind, I serve the law of God, but the sin that remains in me still serves me. And I keep feeling this tension. Repentance, which we need to do often, you know, like, like voting, early and often. We need to repent early and often. We need to keep going back and go, ah, Lord, I did it again. I took back dominion of that part of my life. I actually thought if I bought that thing or did that thing or watched that show or read that book, it was gonna satisfy me and it didn't. It's not because I went about it the wrong way. It's because I'm trying to solve the problem. You're the answer. I gotta go back to you. It's, it's that mental change of acknowledging my heart is broken, and I've gotta keep bringing it to him to heal me. It's funny how, how he words his call to those fishermen. He says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Not, you're gonna fix your problem. You come follow me, and I'm gonna make you into something else. That's the surrender part of it and allowing our heart to be changed by him. We have to change allegiances and come to him, and then our heart gets changed. We have to keep giving him our heart. That's what repentance is about. And then the fourth word is believe. So time is fulfilled, kingdom is at hand, repent, actually repent, and then believe in the gospel. The belief part is interesting too because what follows is, in Mark's gospel, is not a list of things that a Christian should do to earn favor with God or live a good life or, you know, clean living. It's not about that. What follows is a demonstration of the character of Jesus, his power, his teaching, how the kingdom works. Jesus modeled an intimate relationship with God the Father. And he brought people around him and created a community of people that would do the same thing. Believing in the gospel is not intellectual assent to the creed. It is actually a relationship with Jesus. It's loving who he is. It's choosing to let him be your Lord. It's doing life together with him. It's not when I die, I go to heaven. It's now the kingdom has come, and I'm going to choose to walk this life with him. My heart is going to be Christ's home. I'm going to expect kairos events often. You know, you could plot your spiritual journey if you got out uh, like a poster board. Every place chronological time got interrupted by God when he broke in and did something. And you could journal about what happened in each one. You can start to see this trajectory of an incredible life lived with God. We need more of that. We need more of him in our lives, not less. It's a relationship. It's not about doing the right stuff, although how we behave matters. We are called to have faith that is in action, In fact, I love the saying that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Jesus didn't give us the list of things so we could go do the right stuff and deserve God's favor. But Jesus did, by grace, do the work for us, and then he invited us to a different way of life. So effort is part of responding to grace, but it's never about earning anything. It's not credited to us. It's not building up some kind of status with God. It's about a relationship. The good news changes your life. And that means it changes how you live your life. But I want to I share a, probably one of the more frightening texts in, in the Bible. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. As we think about the relationship, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So let me stop there. It sounds like if you want to get into the kingdom, you got to do stuff. you got to earn it. You got to be the one that, that earns it. But that's not where he stops. He says, on that day, well, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, it's about the relationship with God. It's not, it's not that you shouldn't do those things. It's just that doing those things doesn't get you saved. Believing in the gospel could even be said believing on the gospel. It's putting your weight on Jesus and allowing him to work in and through you. Together, we're going to go do the will of the Father, and we're going to do it in relationship. So Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come in, friend of mine whom I've known ever since you joined my kingdom. It's relationship, not just about work. The gospel, the good news, changes your life. Now, the application here, I, I would encourage you to welcome change in all four of those words. So first of all, think about time. Spend time with Jesus. Give him time. Invest time. Ask for him to break into chronological time with his kairos events. The kingdom. Give dominion over to the Lord. Maybe download, go get the free PDF. Download Robert Munger, My Heart, Christ's Home, and it'll take you like 10 minutes. Read through the rooms of the house and each time you find something that he says that resonates with you, give it over to Jesus. Give it to him, just keep keep coming. Keep giving him reign, keep giving him dominion, authority over your life. Repent, ask yourself, why do I keep eating the spiritual junk food and then I'm surprised I get a bellyache? Ask why, go to the motive and ask God to change your thinking about it. Do you actually believe his way is better? Do you actually believe it's more joyful to be a Christian Or do you agree with Billy Joel? I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. He's wrong, by the way. I know lots of really great Christians. And then believe. Look again at the stories of the Lord. Read Mark's gospel. Praise him for who he is. Welcome him that he wants to come and live his life with you. He wants to bring his life into your life. Welcome that. The gospel, by the way, does mean good news, not... Uh, I got some bad news. Life's not going to be fun anymore. It's not going to be interesting. It's going to be boring and predictable, but you will go to heaven. That's, that's, not, that's not the message. Actually, it's the sinners who are boring and predictable. You know, every time I see somebody fall into a moral failure, I go, gosh, that's so cliche. But when I see somebody do kingdom stuff, I go, whoa, power of God is working in that person's heart. That looks different. That's different. That's interesting. And there's the joy that Christians have that just, you know, is so winsome. It, it, it pervades their life. Others are drawn into it. There's a peace even through suffering. That's what it's about. This is good news. The good news changes your life. So welcome it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for coming. We couldn't save ourselves. We needed you. And you came in the exact right time. Lord, would you come again for each one of us? Would you break into our lives? Would you give us the courage? to trust that the good news of the gospel is in fact good. Lord, for anyone in here who has never trusted you, I pray this morning that they would invite you in, that they'd open their heart up to you, for you promised to come in and dine with us. Thank you for that, Lord. And for those who've walked with you a long time, I pray that you would help us savor the sweetness of it. Forgive us for any kind of a a boringness or a routine or um, any kind of bad relational habits. Reinvigorate that friendship, Lord. Renew us again this morning. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.